Yeah, if only he had a record player right there, man. That's a time for a scratch. <laughs> My eyebrows shot up the first time I heard it. I was like, what? And then I was secretly hoping for an alter ego so that I may secretly find out I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Very lonely. As long as it's not me. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Amy, today is a good day. Why? Because I am victorious. Praise the server gods at Fandango. I have my Doctor Strange <laughs> tickets. Oh, yay. Opening afternoon in IMAX. Best seats in the house. And let me tell you something, people. I have this ticket in my Gmail account, on my phone, in my text messages, and as screenshots in my photos. I have two screenshots of order confirmation on my laptop, in my personal Google Drive, and I'm going to have Amy add it to our Backblaze account for good measure. These tickets are now more secure than the U.S. nuclear codes. <laughs> yeah, see, these are the kind of things you need to store with Backblaze. <laughs> Shameless. Are you sure you have enough copies? I haven't printed paper copies yet, so maybe I should. You know, I was just going to suggest that. <laughs> you need to print it, laminate it, and put it in a fireproof lockbox. Or, or I could store it in a go bag with a big old gun, a passport in somebody else's name, and a whole bunch of foreign currency I've never seen before. <laughs> Do we need to have a talk? Do you have an alter ego that I'm unaware of? <laughs> well, everybody, we are, of course, going to talk thoroughly about episode two of Moon Knight today. But we want to thank a few listeners first for their recent reviews of the podcast. Yes. Reaper2655 on Apple Podcasts said, I started listening to your podcast as a companion to my rewatch of Daredevil. I absolutely love this podcast. Amy and Chris are great. Aw, shucks. <laughs> and Sharkon24 from the UK, also on Apple Podcasts, had to say, I was led to the Marvelous Madams podcast via the hashtag Save Daredevil campaign and a wonderful artist by the name of Monique at Mogigi who discussed her condition and her artwork in depth with Amy and Chris. If you like a podcast with a sense of humor, clear and insightful analysis, representation for all, and presenters who actually care about the subject and guests, listen to this. Oh, thank you. That was lovely. Yes, thank you so much. And we certainly do care about the subjects. We have big things planned for the show, guys, and we really need your help to make them a reality. So please just take a minute today and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yes, we would really appreciate it. All right, so episode two did not let us down. No, it did not. In fact, it brought us more questions. Yes, I loved it even more than the first episode because this 
Mm -hmm. This was the Oscar Isaac show. This is the Oscar Isaac show. Yeah. He's absolutely phenomenal. He is. Yes. The first episode was more anxiety inducing. This is more adrenaline junkie types. Oh, I was yelling at the TV. Yeah. <laughs> I understood Conchu's need to really, you know, yell out the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the music in this reminds me so much of The Night Manager, which also had that heavy Egyptian influence. There's actually a portion, the main recurring theme here for Moon Knight sounds exactly like the main recurring theme for The Night Manager. Yeah, that's because The Night Manager was also partially set in Cairo. Yeah, the first and last episodes. Yeah, and this also has a lot of Egyptian themes to it. And we actually do end up in Egypt at the end of the, at the, end of the episode. Yeah. So it's understandable. Now, there was something I was very concerned about at first. When uh -huh. Layla sh showed up and declared herself Mark's wife, I looked at that extremely young face of hers and said, uh-oh. <laughs> No, but she's not that young as you thought she was. Yes. Uh, what is your problem? Are you projecting or something? Because in the first episode, you got someone into bestiality and now it's pedophilia. <laughs> Look, British Dax Shepard is on his own. Okay. That guy's an ass. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Mae Kalamawi, who's playing Layla, she is 35, but she looks a hell of a lot younger. Yes, she does. I was surprised. When she said, you know, I'm your wife after all, or something along those lines. And I was like, whoa, I have to give Stephen credit for not falling off the bike <laughs> because I would have fallen off. Yes, she's definitely way out of Stephen's league. Yes. <laughs> and he knows it. A wife is out of his league, let alone a one who looks like that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. It's <laughs> The goldfish is appropriate as a partner. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to follow in Stephen's footsteps because a wife is out of my league too. Amy, why do you say things like that? Because I'm chronically single. Now it's contagious as well as a medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> this show is doing something very special. It's hard to even wrap my head around it. With episode two now, they are operating on two completely separate levels i don't know which one's on the top and which one's on the bottom i don't know if it matters but they're both parallel and completely distinct it's kind of like mark and steven you don't know which level is the main one and the writing on top of oscar Isaac's performance it's just fantastic it's as far as dealing with the mental illness it's simple but nonetheless poignant and accurate mm -hmm. yes they're dealing with it with a very light touch yet getting the point across and i think we're keeping it light for now for pacing in terms of especially steven's character mm -hmm. and of course we have so much to say about oscar isaac but what a fantastic job he is doing with the differentiation of steven and mark and Here's the test for you, folks. I wouldn't really want Stephen Grant to touch me with a 10-foot pole, but Mark Spector could do as he pleases. <laughs> I feel really bad for Stephen. I would love to be his friend who isn't 
a human statue. <laughs> I was just going to say that might require a lot. Of, yeah. That may require sitting still for long periods of time. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a real commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really bad for him. And yes, that is a test to Oscar Isaac's talent. I can picture him every day just bounding out of bed, excited to get into these characters and really have fun he is really enjoying himself you can see that yeah so we open in steven's apartment where he's waking up now realizing these are not dreams somebody else exists inside him Mm -hmm. and what i think is interesting is that he's more pissed than he is scared here yeah because steven has a very strong moral compass like Arthur says, and for Mark to be doing the things he's doing, Stephen is taking that as a personal insult. Yeah. Like, how could you do this in my body when I don't approve of this in any way? I think that's a little bit part of it. Mm-hmm. So all Stephen can think to do is head over to the museum. I don't think he was there to work. He just is there to see what the hell happened. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. He went in to work trying to pretend that nothing was wrong and then i i do feel like a part of him was thinking maybe it's a dream or rather hoping it was just a dream not the case though what you're going to see on this monitor is going to melt your brain dax shepherd <laughs> yeah he does kind of look like him doesn't he, he really does yeah and he's got that same douchey vibe that a lot of his characters do yeah well it certainly didn't melt Dax Shepard's brain, but it did melt Stephen's brain. Yes, because as we thought, only Stephen can see the creature. Yeah. But from an outsider's perspective, it looks like he's losing his mind. Yes, and Stephen is also the only one that can see that that's not Stephen Grant who comes back out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for someone else, they wouldn't realize that, right? Well, it's so interesting because to us, like, yes, part of it is a bias in our minds because we already know that's Mark coming out. But Oscar Mm -hmm. Isaac uses posture and expression. Mm -hmm. Yes. And not only that, but (laughs) props to the costume department because Stephen's clothes are too big for him. They're baggy and his pants are also too short. That. It makes him look shorter and wider than he actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And when we see Mark, it's kind of similar to what one of the fine gentlemen of Tabletop Journeys, uh, Lee Winika, mentioned during his chat with me on uh, Spider-Man 2, the transformation that Christopher Reeves made in the old Superman movies when he went from uh, Clark Kent to Superman in front of Lois and how he like kind of shot up three inches and just changed his entire posture and body language and and everything about him Mm -hmm. to differentiate the two. Yeah, posture and clothes do make a big difference. Yeah. In differentiating two characters in the same body. So it's clear to the museum that, oh, there was no intruder, that we have a guy here who's a little imbalanced. Were you a little worried about this HR guy at first? Not really, no. I thought he was a little too on board for the doctors. I thought he was going to be the one on Harrow's team. No, I think he played it really well as HR. 
they're covering their bases. Like the problem is with you. And that is why we're letting you go. We're not firing you. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I did sense it like a genuine empathy there. Yes. Yes. And what I really love about this episode too, is that they still manage to get in some of the dry wit and comedy. And I think that is so necessary in a show like this that's going to have so much darkness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because he tells Stephen, you're not alone. That's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he looks so small and helpless holding that mug of tea, presumably. And then handing over his name tag. Yeah, handing over his name tag for Stephen means a lot more than just for anyone else. Yeah, yeah, because there's not actually much to Stephen. And that's a literal representation of him. Yeah, that's true. So we see then Stephen spilling his guts once again to the living statue, who we do see is a real person indeed. We do see is a real person, but is that through Stephen's perspective or in general? That's the real question, because this guy seems like he's been genuinely helpful to Stephen, just a silent sounding board, you know? Mm -hmm. And that makes me wonder if he is indeed a projection that Stephen or Mark has created to help Stephen cope with his shitty life. I don't know. if. Gold dude is a real person. <laughs> he sounds like a wrestler who didn't make the cut. <laughs> who knows? Maybe he was. So if gold dude was a real person, just the sake of humanity, this guy is really struggling. He would have either tried to reply back or called some medical facility to, to have him tested or treated. Not everybody thinks like you. At least here, you see somebody having some kind of fit, talking to themselves. You don't approach that person. And turn around and walk the other way. No, you don't approach that person. But in this case, Stephen is approaching him and having a chat with him every day. Yeah. And a lot of times, though, you just freeze and hope it and hope it stops as long as they're not hurting you because you don't want to get involved. True. Yeah. So we both thought that was a car key Stephen found with the phone last week, didn't we? But now we know it is a storage locker. I didn't even think of that. And now it seems super obvious in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the logo, it's like, duh, we didn't think about it. And man, as soon as Steven opened this locker, I thought, yep, that's a Marine. That place is as squared away as if Mark just came out of basic. <laughs> yeah, this reminded me of some place that the Punisher would use. Yes. In fact, that was my first thought now that you said that. Mm -hmm. It made me think of that back room that Colonel Schoonover, your buddy, had in <laughs> the uh, season two finale of Daredevil. Yeah, but this was far cleaner and organized than that was. Yeah. Yeah, well, because Mark's kind of living, half living there too. Yeah, true. So Stephen finds Mark's go bag along with the scarab, which turns out to be a compass of sorts. Yeah, I was startled when it started flying. I freaked out. Stephen, put that toy <laughs> away before you poke your eye out or worse, sir. 
your teacher is showing. Yes. She can't help it. She's always going to be in there. <laughs> so, yeah, but we don't know what type of a compass it is yet. Yeah. If I've learned one thing from reading, you know, tons of mystery books over the years and watching paranormal movies and whatnot, it's always beware of a compass that doesn't point north. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Stephen learned that lesson. Yes. And now we begin these incredible, what we'll call uh, reflection conversations. <laughs> yes. And here we find out that Mark is an avatar of Khonshu. Who is the Egyptian god of the moon. Yep. Oh, by the way, I kept forgetting to say this. The day the episode released, 30th of March, the moon was a crescent. You're not the first person to point that out. Come on, yeah. people. You're killing me. <laughs> okay. How cool is that? Kevin Foggy is not actually a sage or a mystic. No, they did not plan that. <laughs> they could have. I mean, you know moon cycles. Okay, I'm pulling you with the rope this time. Come on out. No, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to plan that. No. You have... Look online, you'll get the moon cycle. Nope. Too far. No. <laughs> Is it cool? Yes. Do I think they planned that? No. I think yes, they could have because it's just like a week or so here and then any month has a crescent moon. Well, it's funny you brought this up because there's a lot of mystical shit going on here. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder if that's why Stephen thinks he's possessed. That's his question to Mark. Right, among other things. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, yes, there's this supernatural shit going on. So maybe he thinks that that's why. But possession is the first thought a religious person would have. Right. But also he's been studying a lot of Egyptian religion. That's true. I'm just really interested to see how Mark's background is going to be incorporated further, especially now that he's mm -hmm. in control as far as his psyche goes with religious upbringing, cultural background, that kind of thing. Yeah, but Mark could be religious, but not Stephen. It was Stephen's thought. Absolutely. But then it kind of makes it twofold for me because possession is definitely more a thought a Christian slash Catholic would have. And Stephen Grant could consider himself Catholic. But Mark Spector is Jewish. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. And poor Stephen is just horrified at everything he's discovered. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable he would be. Yeah. And I love the question he asks Mark. He doesn't ask him, who are you? He asks him, what are you? Yeah, because he still thinks of Mark as a separate entity invading him. Yeah. Uh, this is just one of so many times I just want to reach through that screen and give Stephen a hug and a cup of hot cocoa. Mm -hmm, yeah. Vegan hot cocoa. <laughs> Soy milk. Sure. Because, I mean, look what the bite of meat did. Who knows what a cup of milk will do. <laughs> so Mark gives him the gist of things here that he's conscious avatar. He protects mm -hmm. the vulnerable and delivers Khonshu's justice to the deserving, which is a very different concept from Amit and Arthur's point of view. 
Yes. And when he says that, it makes you wonder, shouldn't he be protecting Stephen? Because Stephen is vulnerable, clearly, at this point. He thinks he is. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is going to get complicated. <laughs> because while the show is operating on two levels, so are we in discussing it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're operating on multiple levels, to be fair. So, these writers and Oscar Isaac together are doing an incredible job of making us love and care for Stephen Grant and root for him to get his life back. But this is Mm -hmm. insane because Stephen Grant is not a real person, technically speaking. From the comics, yes, but so far, I'm not saying that Stephen Grant isn't a real person, is or isn't a real person. I'm just playing devil's advocate right now. Mark tells Stephen that once my job is done, you will never have to hear from me again. Now, this could be taken in two ways. One, after Mark's job is done, the Mark version disappears and Stephen gets his life back or Stephen disappears. And Mark is Mark. Well, we have to remember here that when it comes down to it, Stephen is Mark. He represents a part of him. He really is Mm -hmm. Mark's conscience. And the thing is, Mark doesn't want to be Mark. Yeah. He created Stephen. His mind created Stephen to escape from Mark. Correct. Yes. So... I believe Mark when he says that because he don't want to be Mark. So he will cease to exist is what you think he means? I think that's what he hopes for, that that's what could happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Mark is aware of what Stephen is not. Mark is aware that he is the true person. That's the most heartbreaking aspect of this for me is that Stephen doesn't understand what he is. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Stephen would be able to deal with that. It's going to be gut-wrenching when he understands what he is. Yeah. But at the same time, Stephen has a very strong sense of self. But that self, we're going to see, is an amalgamation of other things from Mark's life. Stephen is always Mark. They are the same. Stephen yeah. is a is that projection. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I understand it. And I agree with you. But he doesn't know that yet. No. So in some ways, you could say he isn't sentient. Sure. And then this brings up another topic of AI. If an AI becomes sentient, would unplugging it be considered murder? Clark Gregg, if you're listening, we would love you to weigh in on this topic. Who would know more? (laughs) He's the wrong comparison because Coulson was a human being before he became a robot. I'm not talking about physical form. I'm talking about mental capacity, artificial intelligence. Paul Bettany, shoot us an email, won't you? Listeners, if you have thoughts about this very complicated and moral question, please 
Share your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. So then here's another question. Is Steven the only alter that Mark's ever had? Were there others? I doubt it. I think there are others. Or there were others. And we have to wonder how far back Steven goes because there's no allusion to memories of a life before we see Steven working at the museum. Steven is definitely collecting memories now of his job, of, of what he does as Steven. But it's like he showed up at that museum just fully formed because he did. So we don't know how far back he goes. Yeah, but again, at the end of the episode, he says, my whole life, you've been there. So again, does he have fake memories, kind of like the people in Westview had? I don't know. It's very interesting. I would love to talk about this for hours and hours, but we don't have time for that. And in the first episode, we discussed that, you know, Stephen might be a little stronger than we think. And that is because Stephen is a part of Mark. They are both extremely strong. And because Stephen represents the part of Mark that he hates about himself, yeah, he's going to be difficult to overcome. He is. And also, again, at the end of the episode, Mark says that something has changed and the person who's possessing the body has more power compared to the one who's in the mirror. Yeah. So that gives us an explanation as to why Mark needed Stephen's permission in both these episodes while he has no problem taking over the body when Stephen is asleep because he's not conscious. So I do believe Stephen when he says he will let the doctors drug him up and lock him up yeah, to stop Mark from killing any more people because part of Mark wants that. He, part of him wants to stop. Yeah, I agree. And probably Mark may think if that happens, then Conchu will leave him alone. But a part of him doesn't want that to happen because of Layla. Right. Yeah. Conchu, not thrilled about any of this. No. He's got buyer's remorse. <laughs> That's what happens when you buy something at a deep discount, you know, a.k.a. dead. Mm -hmm. A corpse. Never a good purchase. <laughs> yeah, so Khonshu goes after Steven. And man, this creature that he takes the form of reminds me of a plague doctor. The masks they wore, you know, with the beaky face. Yeah. And in the comics, this is what he looks like. And we, I'm guessing, or I'm assuming that this is Conchu's form, kind of like how Ameth is the crocodile slash something slash hippopotamus. Yeah, I think I had Plague Doctor on the brain too, because I just read a book over the weekend. Uh, it was called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which I highly recommend to anybody who wants a mm -hmm. good mystery and a headache at the same time, uh, which <laughs> featured a guy uh, dressed up as a Plague Doctor, the whole book. So, Okay. I was not expecting Khonshu to not have a neck, like his head was floating over his body. Yeah, creepy. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. So all this mayhem caused by the contents of Mark's storage locker goes to show how much hassle can be avoided if people try a digital solution for their storage <laughs> needs instead. <laughs> so here's a... Highly ham-fisted word about Backblaze, everyone. 
back in the days when I ran my own web design business, I only backed up my important data on an external hard drive. Oh, the follies of youth. So when my brother dropped the hard drive and I lost three years of my life, I was devastated. Is he still alive? Yes, but I considered burying him under the floor. Once I stopped crying, I realized I needed a more reliable backup system. Enter Backblaze, the set-it-and-forget-it cloud storage solution. For $7 a month, Backblaze protects your most important data from life's little curveballs, like clumsy siblings, rowdy kids, and mischievous pets. And with its simple interface and easy setup, anyone can use it. I'm certainly proof of that. Sign up now for a 15-day free trial using the link in our show notes, which also helps support the Marvelous Madams. Backblaze, when it comes to data, they have your back. So Stephen takes off here running for his life and runs straight into Layla on her bike. Yeah. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, because he is a goddamn mess. That's an understatement. I'm surprised he doesn't have pit stains. <laughs> so Layla found him through tracking his phone. All right, Marvel, we'll give you a little creative license there with the missed calls. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we still don't know who Steven himself has been calling. I'm going to hold that one a little longer. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm very, very curious. And that was a great line. As Steven is hanging on to her for dear life, feels like I'm riding with a Victorian duchess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, he was holding her in a very awkward position because, and I appreciate that about Steven. He didn't want to assume and put his arms around her waist. Yeah, because this is a super awkward guy. Yeah, and then he puts her arm around her by because of the breaks, and then she tells him, oh, I'm your wife. Yeah, if only he had a record player right there, man. That's a time for a scratch. <laughs> My eyebrows shot off the first time I heard it. I was like, what? And then I was secretly hoping for an alter ego so that I may secretly find out I have a wife. <laughs> Very lonely. As long as it's not me. <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing. I am 1000% certain that Stephen Grant is a virgin. Possibly, yes. I agree with you, yes. Yeah, so. And for a virgin, he's surely into some kinky shit with that. <laughs> yeah, so Stephen is now out of his depth in more ways than one. You could say that. And Layla is not buying a word of what she thinks is an act. Yeah, and that's understandable because Mark is a trained mercenary. He's used to having aliases and going undercover and all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Different story in the real world. If I came home one day and my husband told me he was someone else and was speaking in a pitch-perfect British accent... I would get him to a psychiatrist immediately. Which would be the sensible thing to do. Yes, because his idea of putting on a British accent is walking past me on the way to get a yogurt from the fridge and going, hello, governor, and walking back. <laughs> so turns out Mark does have a mother whom he's estranged from. So this made me think, what if... 
Stephen is actually calling Mark's mother. And this poor lady is getting voicemails from <laughs> some rando. <laughs> yeah, some random British dude. <laughs> she doesn't have the heart to tell him that she's not his mum because she's hearing what's happening with him. Yeah, well, what's really interesting is that Stephen says the apartment is hers. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there could be any kernel of truth in this at all, because Mark's mother is presumably American. So why would she have an apartment in London? Right. I think this is just an idea that Mark has somehow planted in his head. Possible. Likely, rather. And great moment here between Stephen and Layla with the book of poetry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again. Very well-spoken French, both of them. Oh, okay. Wouldn't know. Happy Le Pew is the extent of my knowledge of French accents. <laughs> I learned French, actually. My accent is terrible, but I do know how to order a cheese omelette and a coffee. Well, you could fool me because I speak French like Joey Tribbiani. Blah, blah. <laughs> so it seems like steven's personality is based at least in part on layla yes a part of layla and a part of what mark wishes he could be yes and beyond that i think having that inside him helps him stay connected to her and feel close to Mm -hmm. her you know very sad Yeah, it is. And that's why Stephen can't help but feel a connection to her, even though he can't access the memories. That's true. And clearly, Layla is feeling something there, although she still believes it's Mark who's playing a prank on her. Yeah, she's just there because she wants Mark to sign the damn divorce papers. Yeah, again, I kind of feel bad for Stephen. Like five minutes before, he knew he had a wife and now she's giving him a divorce. Yeah, and I love his response. I would never divorce you. Yeah. And I believe him. I do too, because it's another way of saying, what idiot would divorce you? Exactly. And that's when Mark starts fighting him again. As Stephen starts to explain, Mark just wants Layla safe. And the hell away Mm -hmm. from him. Yeah. Maybe that's the reason why Stephen exists. Maybe. And it tells us that divorce or not, Mark loves her very much. Yes. Now we find out that Layla was actually working with Mark to find the scarab. Yes. And throughout this conversation with Stephen, she mentions the suit. But she never mentions Conchu. Mm-hmm. So we don't know whether Mark really told her everything. Right. Or the only reason she knows about the suit is because she's seen it. Right. And we can surmise that Mark was damn obsessed with finding this scarab because it's Stephen's willingness to just give it to her that makes mm-hmm. her finally believe this is not the man she married. Yeah. And then she starts referring to him as Stephen. Yeah, which I think is a lovely thing to do because it's more than just de-escalating the situation. It's having that compassion. 
it's compassion and acknowledging that he's not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. In a way, this could also correlate to a transgender person after they've transitioned to use their preferred name. That's a good point. And then just when we think we're making some progress, there's a knock on the door. Mm -hmm. Never good. No. Cops are never good news. No. As soon as these cops come in, I said, "Uh uh-oh. No, this, no, no bueno, because the museum said they weren't pressing charges. These guys shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And then the mail cop asks about the paperweight. Yeah, paperweight shop. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they don't even know what they're here for. Yeah, and I love that we see how crafty and cool under pressure Layla is right away, hiding out there on the ledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, thank you. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. There'd have to be a fucking snake in that room for me to do that. (laughs) Fucking Nagini would have to be there about to take a bite out of me. Uh Uh-huh. Or a rat. Yeah, I'm staying in there. I'm going to take on the rat rather than go out the ledge. I see. Okay. They're levels. Levels of fear. Yes, there are. (laughs) And of course, the cops find the go bag, take Stephen away. Mm-hmm. And I feel so bad for him sitting in this car, helpless, hearing about what Mark has done. Yeah. And by proxy, feeling like he's responsible for it. Yeah. And another great battle here between Stephen and Mark in the car with mm-hmm. Stephen fighting with every ounce of his energy. I am never giving you control again. Yes. So he thinks. Well, the show would have been over because he would have been dead. (laughs) But don't worry, Stephen. Arthur's here. He'll take care of you. Did you notice the glass clinking as he was taking his steps? No. Nice catch. It was amazing the way they put it in, like reminding you. I may have heard it and just not realized what it was because my brain would Uh not want it, would not want to have realized it yeah (laughs) uh yeah so from here on out arthur harrow is just known as this son of a bitch (laughs) he understands exactly what's going on with steven and mark but chooses to keep steven in the dark yes he does but at the same time he's acknowledging it to bring steven onto his side and this is the part that uh, made me choke up just a little bit. This son of a bitch asks Stephen if Conchu chose him as his avatar because his mind would be so easy to break or because it was already broken. Mm-hmm. I'm not broken. I just need some help. Yeah. That goes to show just how strong Stephen is. Yeah. And to everybody out there, struggling with either mental illness, chronic illness, whatever it may be, he's right. Yeah, you're not broken. It takes a while to believe that, but it's true. I've been there, sometimes I'm still there, but it really is true. And that goes to people who've experienced abuse of any kind. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. Unfortunately, though, in the process, Arthur raises an important question. Did the DID manifest in Mark 
before or after he became Moon Knight? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Time will tell. Yep. Because when you think about it, it could have been becoming Moon Knight and having those powers that was the trauma that caused the split in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, dying could do that. Yeah. A little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> but Mark does say that he's been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not talking about being Moon Knight. We're talking about the DID. Yes. Yep. And if we're being consistent with the comic history of Mark Spector, who is a mercenary, which clearly we seem to be following the same path, being at war and experiencing that kind of violence is traumatic in itself. Of course. Yeah. So let's just say he's got more potential triggers than the average person. Yeah. So if if Kanchu has one flaw, I'd have to say he's just a little too subtle about what he wants, you know? <laughs> he doesn't like to push. You know? <laughs> yeah, he makes it pretty clear he would very much like Stephen to kill Arthur Harrow. Punch the windpipe. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, even if the punch is not strong enough to kill him, at least it will shut him up, which would be good. That's true. Yes. Arthur's just playing good cop here. Trying to lull mm-hmm. Stephen into this false sense of security. You don't have to do everything he says. Yeah. And the way he does it, the way he's explaining everything to Stephen, it almost feels like he's really Stephen's friend and he wants to help him. Yeah. You got to really remind yourself that this is a very bad guy. And this is a giant house of cards because like any cult, there's something about it that is a little bit alluring. It is. And for a minute, I was swayed. Yeah. You know, I've said before that when Owen Wilson was cast in the MCU, I thought, what the hell are they doing? You know, this is never going to work. And um, please don't leave, sir. Please stick around. (laughs) When Ethan Hawke was cast for Moon Knight, I didn't really have much of a thought at all. Honestly, never cared much for Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Always thought he was just kind of a mediocre actor. Damn, is he doing a fantastic job. Yeah, he is. Frankly, I've not seen anything Ethan Hawke has been in. So I wouldn't know. He's made a lot of stinkers. I see. Put it that way. But he mm-hmm. is just perfectly cast in this role. Such an understated, restrained performance. Yes, he does a wonderful job. Credit to him because any other lesser actor would probably have gone too sleazy with this, but he didn't. He seemed genuine while he was, you know, spewing his bullshit. I love the way Kanshu is just watching all of this. Yeah, and he's like throwing a hissy fit. Yes, like a kid (laughs) on the sidelines who didn't get picked for the team. Yeah. And this compound is just (laughs) as creepy as Arthur himself. This is what I imagine it's like inside one of those Scientology temples. With fresh tomatoes and a goat? All these people, brainwashed people, pretending to be so full of peace and love and joy. Yeah, anyone that's so peaceful and loving and joyful, something's wrong with you. Yes. Either you're very high or you're very (laughs) repressed. (laughs) Well said. Okay, I have to say, the Mandarin 
Ethan Hawke, you were great as Arthur, but the Mandarin sucked. Vincent D'Onofrio did a much better job. Oh, wow. That's saying a lot because you were pretty incensed yes. about D'Onofrio's accent. Yes, but he he made Vincent D'Onofrio look like a local. <laughs> so over lentil soup here, this is where Arthur makes his pitch to Mark, trying to do things the easy way, the nice way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he explains it very simply. Conchu's fist of vengeance comes too late. It comes after the suffering. We're here to prevent the suffering. Yeah, it's like prevention is better than cure. Ah, God damn it. When you put it like that, man. <laughs> shit, I kind of live by that principle. Uh-huh. And you're not wrong about it being in this being the same thing on a certain level. It is. That's exactly what it is. Not exactly, no. Because I... It is. From a thematic perspective, he's killing the people who could potentially do bad things, so he's preventing bad things from happening, versus punishing people who've done bad things, which is the cure. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to say that I support murdering children. No. Just, Just clarifying that. The Marvelous Madams does not condone or support child murder in any way, no matter how obnoxious they're being. Or adult murder. So my husband and I are currently planning, just preliminary planning for a vacation to Orlando that we want to take around October. And turns out Universal Studios has a program called Child Swap. And at first I was like, wait, does that mean you give them your shitty kid and they give you back a better kid for the day? (laughs) (laughs) It turns out it's some kind of thing that like allows both parents to be able to ride the ride. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah. I've heard a wife swap. Yeah, the fact that that was my first thought is just one of the many reasons I don't have children. And you should not. (laughs) Here, I don't like this product. Please exchange it for me. I want a better model. (laughs) Here's the kicker. This is the big problem when Arthur says, you don't need to doubt her judgment. Yeah, that is every religion ever. Yeah, spoken like a true cult leader. You don't need to think for Mm -hmm. yourself. You don't need to ask questions. No. Just follow the path. And life will be beautiful. So the whole idea behind Amit's philosophy is just eradicating even the choice of evil. Mm-hmm. And Arthur just doesn't get that it's the choice that makes us human. Yeah, that's true. He's not giving a person the opportunity to reform or prevent themselves or let their better self win. because. Like Stephen said, everybody has thoughts. Right. He wa- he thinks he wants to kill his boss, but he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, haven't we all been there at some point in our lives? Absolutely. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that we deserve to die because we had a nasty thought. There'd be no one alive. Anybody who swears they've never thought about killing somebody is full of shit. <laughs> yes. And with the whole concept of eradicating the choice for evil, it goes back to what we talked about in episode one. They are also defining what's evil. 
Yes, we don't know what is their definition of evil. Our definition of evil, Arthur would be the king. He's just taking people's lives helter-skelter. And at this point, I think it's safe to say, because I had questioned it last week, Arthur is doing this entirely of his own free will. There's no supernatural mind control going on. Yeah, because later on in the episode, we see the homeless man who picks up the scarab. He took his life without judging him. Yes, he did. Yeah, I noticed that too. He didn't need to. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing more of Arthur's backstory. I know we're going to get it now that we know he was Khonshu's first avatar. Mm -hmm. Given what he was before working for Khonshu on the side of justice after the fact, he must have been so traumatized by what he saw or did or thought Khonshu allowed to happen that that's how Mm -hmm. he ended up on the complete other side of this. He kind of reminds me of me a little bit of Carl Mordo from Dr. Strange in that way, the rigidity. Right. Yeah. And like knee jerk response, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the complete opposite side because his goal is still the same to eradicate evil with Conchu. It's after the fact with Amit it's before it's almost like he's been radicalized square okay that makes sense you know what i'm saying yeah and what i'm also wondering is how arthur got free of conchu in the first place yeah did conchu let him go or did arthur do something to overpower the connection and free himself or did he get so close to amit that when amit took over she severed the connection with conchu or Conchu left, saying, I would like an exclusive relationship and we're going to break up. <laughs> yeah, and Stephen fights back here with everything that we're saying, you know? Mm-hmm. Horrified at Arthur's statement of, sometimes the cure is a little taste of the disease. Yeah, the difference between a cure and poison is dosage, which is true in many cases. <sighs> yes, yes it is. God. I mean, cancer treatment in itself, is a poison for the body. I was thinking the same thing. Yep. Yeah, they just give you enough of a dose that doesn't kill you. So eventually, Arthur has enough of trying to do things the easy way. Yeah. So he takes his cane and starts showing off the sliver of power that he does have. Yes, because Stephen is not giving up Layla, who now has the scarab. But she kind of ruins that plan. Yes, she does. And before we get into that, I had one question for you. All those people who were watching, you know, those very peaceful pictures on the projector with headphones on. Yeah. What do you think were they listening to? Was it some kind of brainwashing thing? Or was it like, this is what life could be after all the evil is dead? They were probably listening to that Bob Dylan song on a loop. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I think there's something nefarious there. I mean, some people find his voice mellow. I find it incredibly grating and would prefer to never hear it again as long as I live. (laughs) Yeah, so Layla shows up here with the scarab and Arthur just wants to keep it safe. So I don't know why she just doesn't just give it to him. Yeah. Because like Sylvester just wanted Tweety in his mouth to keep Tweety nice and warm, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I have to give credit to Layla. She followed Stephen and she came here knowing full well that 
what they wanted was the scarab because she knew Stephen was incapable of defending himself or protecting himself. Yeah, she's protecting him now. Yes. While she could have just left. Yes. So we've seen that Stephen Grant doesn't like being scared. But if you guys do, there's a very witchy podcast we think you'll enjoy. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broom Flicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project. To the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that. Witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome. Steven may not be very capable, but Layla certainly is. Yes, she is. And she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she can hold her own fighting. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Arthur is summoning the jackal through a portal mm-hmm. with his stick. I love that because there was this movie from the 90s called The Jackal, I think with Richard Gere. <laughs> Not sure. Okay. Yeah. You've seen a lot of terrible movies. I mean, the name Jackal implies it's a terrible movie. It's one of those movies that was like on TNT all the time when I was a kid, you know, and I didn't do much else besides watch TV. So the jackal, now I can't help it. I've got to stop this. The jackal <laughs> chases Layla and Steven up into Arthur's attic. Yes, which is worrisome because they look like they're full of mummies. I'm going to die in an evil magician's man cave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question for you. Are they fresh mummies or ancient mummies? They looked pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. What is he up to? Is he taking the bodies of those people whose lives he has taken and mummified them? I think so. But for what purpose? To what end? Well, with him, it's all about serving Ahmed, right? Yeah. So maybe some kind of sacrifice or offering. Yeah, probably. I mean, all that energy, you know, she must get hungry. Yeah, and you can only eat so much lentil soup before, you know, shit goes down. (laughs) Well, either it's for her or maybe he just needs a hobby. So we get another great battle between Mark and Steven as the jackal tries to break in. And, you know, I found myself thinking that maybe it's better for the moment, at least here, that Steven didn't understand what was going on wasn't aware of the DID because if he was, he'd be questioning everything. He might even question Layla's existence. Have you seen um, A Beautiful Mind? Yes. Wonderful movie. Yeah. Although the one big problem I have that with that is 40 something Russell Crowe trying to play a college student anyway. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think of that at that time. It's a big problem. But at the end of the movie, when he's old, elderly John Nash mm-hmm. and he has his class and somebody, I think from, what was it? The, the Nobel committee, some big, some big wig comes into his office to see him. And he says mm-hmm. to one of his students, can you see him? Yes. And she laughs. Yes. He's yeah. making fun. He's poking yeah. fun, which is sweet and lovely, but it, nonetheless, very true, you know? Yeah. And he possibly may have passed it off as a joke, but he was kind of 
checking. You never know. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, That's the thing about mental illness. You can't trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for the moment here to get through this situation, it was better for Stephen to not know, which doesn't excuse that son of a bitch for not telling him. Bastard. <laughs> well, of course he wouldn't tell him. It wouldn't fit with his agenda. I know. You got to give him credit there. Come on. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so finally, realizing that this jackal is going to kill him, Stephen listens to Layla and summons the suit. Yes. It's a good suit. This is now my favorite superhero landing of all time. <laughs> Thud? Thud. He kind of like keels over at all time. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> it is. That should have been worse. <laughs> I agree, buddy. <laughs> and I also agree, Stephen, what the hell are we wearing? <laughs> I liked it. It was not bad. He looked like he walked out of a casino. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, Psycho Colonel Sanders. <laughs> so a quick tidbit. This costume, this suit that we see in the comics, Mark Spector does wear the suit at, on some occasions, and he refers to himself as Mr. Knight then. Like Moon Knight, Mr. Knight. Is this when he wants a, the best table at the restaurant? Perhaps. Little Although I don't think the mask would help in that situation. No, and Jesus, did that thing look claustrophobic. It did, yeah, but it's very COVID-friendly. That's true. Yeah, but you could not pay me to wear that thing. At least, though, he could take mm -hmm. it. You could see that Oscar Isaac could take that on and off. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't attached like it is on Tom Holland's Spider-Man suit, and he doesn't have to, you know, drink through a straw that runs through his crotch or anything. Or his eye. Whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And I think they've also probably had nose holes there for him to breathe that they digitally removed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even the actual Moon Knight suit doesn't have any holes to breathe through. That's true. And the same thing with the eyes. There were probably eye holes there for him to see and they just put in put those in digitally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise he would be literally banging into everything. He didn't need an invisible jackal. Yeah, and this suit also serves the purpose of showing us that, oh, wait, this guy actually is in really good shape. <laughs> How did Steven not notice this in the shower? <laughs> yeah, and how does he manage to stay fit when he doesn't clearly work out? Yes, yes, quite fit. Mm -hmm. It looks good, I will say, it looks good. So is it the suit with the gloves or is it Mark himself? That has the super strength powers that are bending bumpers and whatnot and punching out the jackal. Clearly it's the suit because Stephen was able to do that. It wasn't Mark right, in the right. suit at that time. Well, the body, I guess I'm saying. No, because otherwise Stephen would have discovered that he's accidentally breaking all the paperweights. True, true. Would have pulled an Andrew Garfield in Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This invisible fight sequence is so cool. It is. It is, really. And Layla is so disoriented because she can't see the enemy. Yeah, well, she's amazing for even being in on this fight. She is all yeah. in on battling a paranormal fucking supernatural creature that she can't even see. Yeah, and when she throws 
that bottle and the liquid is falling off this creature, she is freaked out because that is not humanoid in any way. No. And, you know, you root for Steven even more here because he's holding out as long as he can. He doesn't want to give Mark control. Yeah, he's floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. Yes, Muhammad Ali, you are not, sir. (laughs) (laughs) He does get one good punch in. He does. But it's Mark who ultimately, you know, appeals to his own conscience here. Somebody's going to get hurt. Give it up. Yes, and that's the only reason why he agrees. Okay, I have a confession to make. The transformation from Stephen to Mark and the costume coming in, I don't know what about it. It's hot. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that the transition period from becoming Stephen to Mark to Moon Knight is just... Mm. You know, the jackal is not the only thing evaporating right now. I see that... That through line for you that I was just barely holding on to, that I could barely see, just completely gone. (laughs) Why are you still trying? I don't understand. You know why I'm still trying? Because you say things like a wife will never be in the cards for you. One of us has to have faith in you. At this point, I'm scared, you know, to say I'm single. Or maybe I might create a relationship just so that you don't scream at me anymore. It is a really cool transformation, again, with that great music. Mm -hmm. And this is also when we see this innocent man finding that scarab and Arthur doesn't even bother with the pretension of weighing his soul. Yeah, he just takes it. Oh, a homeless man by default has to be bad, right? Yeah, it's interesting. He said, I can offer you food and clothes, but the guy didn't look like a homeless man to me. Just looked like a guy passing by, you know? I did see a trolley with some stuff in it okay. nearby. And you know what I think it is, too? That's just Arthur's shtick, you know? It's just automatic for him, his bullshit. Yeah, sure. And that guy didn't even respond. He didn't say, yes, please give me a place to stay or give me some food. Yeah. He just gave it to him. He didn't him. even have a chance. Yeah. So wisely, I think Layla takes off for now. Time to regroup. Yes. And she got a chance to see just exactly who Arthur is. Oh, yeah. So now the moment we have been waiting for, Mark is in control of the body. Mm-hmm. Steven is now the reflection. Oh. Yeah. He's so sad inside. He's so lost. Yes. Feeling trapped. Yeah. And because this is a conscious swap, he's aware that he's inside while... Otherwise, he probably just thought he was dreaming. He was sleeping. Yeah. So this is where Mark promises to return the body to Stephen once his debt is paid to Khonshu. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I do believe Mark here, but thing is, buddy, it's not really up to you. Yeah, clearly, because Khonshu has other plans. Yeah, Khonshu is like a blackmailer who never stops bleeding his victim. Yeah. And in this case, his ammo is Layla. Yes, because that's who Khonshu has his sight set on for his next avatar. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe that Khonshu wants Layla. He's just doing that to ensure Mark's continued servitude. I agree. Yeah, because we have to imagine there are certain characteristics he wants in an avatar, you know? 
Possibly, yes. I mean, she can handle herself for sure. Yeah. Well, I also wonder if age is a factor because the body has to be in a condition to be able to do all this, you know? If we go by the actor's age, Oscar Isaac is 43, Layla is 35. And then we have Ethan Hawke at 51. So I don't know if age plays into it at all. I don't know. I think it's more got to do with who gets resurrected through him because clearly he doesn't have the ability to impact the real world. He's doing it via his avatar. Yeah, that could very well be. So it could just be an empty threat. And this is where we get the greatest battle yet between Stephen and Mark and Oscar Isaac's talent just on full display. Yes, he's arguing with himself and it's incredible. Yeah, because part of him believes, obviously, because Stephen is his psyche, that he did in fact abandon Layla, that he did do wrong by her. But then Mm -hmm. another part of him recognizes he's doing what he's doing to keep her safe. Yes, Stephen is his guilt talking. Shades of Matthew Murdoch. True, to a certain extent, yes. I will say if Matt Murdoch doesn't get therapy soon, he might end up being like Stephen and Mark. You're not wrong about that. Not with DID, but you know. And Stephen's not wrong when he says, you hurt people. That's, that's cutting Mark to the core. Yeah, and he's right. And Mark, even though he's pissed off, he's frustrated with what's going on, he doesn't want to be in the situation. At the same time, he was still trying to be nice to Stephen initially. Just breathe through it, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you'll get used to it. Mark does care about Stephen, and that is why he's letting him be as vocal as he is. Yeah, the intensity here is just incredible. It is, yes. Especially on the Stephen side, I will never let you hurt anyone again. I won't give you a moment's peace. Like, I believe him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This struggle is going to be amazing to watch. It is. And I don't doubt at certain times it's going to be funny with both of them swapping at rather inopportune times. And I think that's really important. There has to be some levity because there has to be some levity about it in life. Like what we just said with A Beautiful Mind about John Nash would, you know, make those jokes later in Mm -hmm. his life. It's a form of gallows humor. Absolutely. You know, you see, there's so much that's been written too about humor in the Holocaust, humor in some of the darkest times of humanity. It's Mm -hmm. a coping mechanism. It certainly is a coping mechanism that we all use in our lives. And in a show, at the end of the day, it is entertainment, you know? So we do need that release from that stress. Otherwise, it would just weigh us down. We'd end up feeling more depressed after the episode. Kind of like The Handmaid's Tale makes me feel depressed. Yeah, because we need that stress release in life. I mean, a few months ago, and I had told you about this, I was having a rough day. I was just, you know, feeling sore with the the chronic illness Mm -hmm. issues that I have. And I decided to take an Epsom salt bath in my jet tub (laughs) here in my in my home that only worked once it only worked this one time unfortunately (laughs) and i was unaware that if you use liquid epsom salts 
in a jet tub, you're going to have a Lucy Ricardo situation on your hands. <laughs> so when my husband walked in, the door a half an hour later came in the bathroom and could not see me through the bubbles. Of course we laughed. Yeah, you have to laugh at those situations. And I think I may have just discovered Jet System worked only that one time. Why? Conchu is protecting you. You know he would do anything to protect you. Conchu could go fuck himself. <laughs> because I don't take this kind of shit from my own parents. So I'm not going to take it from him. Because that's what he is. Very much a toxic parent pushing a backwards sense of obligation onto a child. That's an interesting take. Yeah. You think you own this body? It belongs to me. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. That's true. Yeah. Makes sense. So the question is, who needs who more? Like, what's the actual power dynamic here? I certainly think Konshu needs Mark more than he's letting on. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think Mark would be just fine without Konshu. The worst thing that will happen is he's dead. And I think that would be a sense of relief to him. But I honestly doubt he will die if Konshu takes away his blessing. Okay. And the power dynamic is one thing, but I'm also wondering if there's something about Mark specifically that Konshu needs rather than some other avatar, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if it's his skill set. Could be. Which makes me also wonder about Layla's skill set. Who is she? What has she been up to? Yeah. All we know is she's Mark's wife and has been on adventures with him. Yeah. So that brings up the question, did she have the skill set before she met Mark or did Mark train her? And how did they meet? Were they, did they meet on an adventure and took it forward from that? Right. And how long were they even together? Yep. Right. So Mark has no choice here. He's on board. And where the hell you think you're going, buddy? Mm-hmm. Going to get drunk in Egypt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we are. He can stay on the floor in those boxers as long as he wants. I'm worried about the glass because he's broken the mirror and he broke another plate or some, some glasses on the floor. So clearly he's been breaking all the reflective surfaces. Yeah, I'm a little more worried about myself because I know I'm going to watch this with my husband for a third time later today. And I don't know how much longer I will be able to stop myself from watching The Night Manager again. I'm blaming Oscar Isaac. Sure. Yes. You do that. <laughs> you stay in denial. That damn music's not helping. Mm -hmm. But yes, sir, you stay that way. In fact, I insist upon it. On that note, that wraps up Moon Knight Episode 2. Like to wrap him up. <laughs> wrap him you up know, and take it to go. <laughs> you know, men have the saying sex on legs. Yes. When it comes to women, I think it applies to you as well. For you, any man. That is not true. Is sex on legs. That is absolutely unequivocally not true. I take umbrage and offense and everything possible. You know damn well I have a type. I have a primary type and a subtype. Oscar Isaac meets my subtype. Very nicely. Between your primary and your sub, 
it covers half the male population. <laughs> but sure, you tell yourself that. You know, denial is a powerful force. She's a liar. Moving on. We have some people we would like to uh, mention from Twitter this week. Wes Sager, I hope I'm saying that right, sir. Obviously, we agree that Oscar Isaac was definitely the man for this job. Let us know what you thought of all the Mark Steven dynamics in episode two. No labels 15. No reveal yet on who Steven has been calling. Do you still think it's Vodafone's customer service? Oh my God. I have had the most horrible calls with Vodafone. I, that is trauma. That is certainly a case for DID. Now, I didn't know what Vodafone was. So thank you at No Labels 15 for explaining it to me. <laughs> at Third Eye Seeks. Thank you for sharing that video of the KV-9 tomb. That was mind-blowing. This tomb, so it was started by Ramses V and finished by Ramses VI. This shit has stairs. Aim, you could live in that thing. Fuck buying a new house. Find this tomb. Go move in there. You'll be happy. (laughs) It'll certainly be quieter than the house that I'm living in. But pyramids, tombs were meant to be that. The idea was that when a pharaoh died... A lot of his servants and followers were entombed with him. Right. So it has to be roomy, you know? They need place to dance around at the, every night, you know, like like Night of the Museum. Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, at the museum. I wish I could claim credit for that, but I cannot. I saw that on the internet. <laughs> Darren Jakes. You get a gold star along with Wes for staying up late to watch episode two. Stephen Grant would be proud. Yes, indeed. And big shout out to Katie Bjordahl, our newest patron. Our Patreon page is live and you guys can find the link to that in our show notes. We invite everyone to come on in, become a member of the Sanctum Sanctorum and get access to the first of our Marvelish movies, Crimson Peak. So thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for episode three of Moon Knight. Or maybe, I doubt it, but just maybe, for once, we'll come away with more answers than questions. Denial is a powerful force. In the meantime, come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams, so that way we can consider you to be part of our listener roundtable discussion in May. Yes, and a reminder, there are only three spots left. Yes. And for more content, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. No labels, right? No labels. No. (laughs) (laughs) No labels. (laughs) They're from New Orleans. It's Quasimodo. He moved down there.